great to be back with you guys. I'm sorry there was this was a hiccup, and we'll figure out how to do that otherwise. Um, I've been wanting to do this show for a while because I've been thinking about something in, in terms of the the Catholic Church and everything that we're in, but I haven't really known the the right time to just jump in with this idea. But then this story came out a couple of days ago. Uh, yes, Caitlin, I did move and I am trying to decorate. You know, I don't know if you guys can see, I have all these nails and, and stuff here and I have a beautiful Texas flag with the sacred heart of Jesus that I got from trad flags. It's going to go behind me just as soon as I locate, uh, where I boxed everything up. Um, but yeah, no, I know the, the walls are a little bare and, uh, we're going to get that, uh, f- figured out. And yes, yeah. <laughs> He found me again. I know I'm like a bad penny. I just keep turning up. Um, so this story came out, uh, recently on the pillar. Uh, and I, you know, and I'm sure some of you have seen it and you guys are talking about this and, uh, you know, you guys are, have, uh, displayed a little bit of concern, uh, talking about, uh, that the Pope is meeting together with his, team to discuss Bishop Strickland's resignation. Um, Now, I was not too overly concerned about this, quite frankly, because there's, it's difficult to remove bishops. A bishop is a successor to the apostles. And he, once he is installed as the, as, uh, you know, as the, the vicar of a see, you know, that that's very difficult to, to do. He can either resign he can be removed for cause or, or something like that. Um, I, I went ahead and I got out my, my code of Canon law here. Now I'm, I do not presume to be an expert in Canon law and nor would I, you know, try, but I, I, I found this interesting in Canon 194, um, that, uh, or I'm sorry, Canon 193, a person cannot be removed from an office conferred for an indefinite period of time, except for grave causes and according to the manner of proceeding defined by law. The same is valid for the removal of a person from an office conferred for a definite period of time before this time has elapsed without prejudice to the prescript of Canon 624. Basically what they're saying is there's a reason that Pope Francis is meeting to discuss Strickland's resignation because resignation is the only way they're going to be able to get him out of there. And if he's, I wouldn't do it. I I would just politely decline the Bishop of Rome's request for my resignation. But then again, you know, I don't know everything and I don't know everything that's going on, but um, the Catholic church as it exists now is a lot like a Soviet style state. Now this is a, this is a, just stick with me here for a little bit. In both situations, what do I mean when I say a Soviet-style state? Do I just mean a communist country? No, I don't. Believe it or not, you don't need communism to have a Soviet-style dictatorship. If you're going to have a communist country, you need a Soviet-style dictatorship, but you can have a Soviet-style dictatorship without communism per se. What is a Soviet-style state? What is that like? What is a Soviet-style society? The Soviet Union was instituted in, well, it's, it's a product of the 1917 Russian Revolution, but it was really instituted in 1923 um, as a, a, a socialist 
state, okay, the world's first openly socialist state dedicated to the goal of global proletarian revolution, and, and according to the theories of Karl Marx. From its inception, obviously, because it's a communist country, it didn't work very well. But the people who founded it were under the impression that we are creating what we're going to be, what we're doing here is going to have the outcome of creating the fairest, just, most just, most equitable society in all of human history. We're literally going to create a new type of man here. Therefore, that's the most important thing in the world. Lenin used to say that history will not forgive us if we don't seize power now. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, these people will have a messiah complex. Yes, yes, they do. They had a messiah complex and an ego bigger than the Tower of Babel. So that means that the system, because it's communist, isn't going to work very well. And so everything in the system, the entire apparatus of government has one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to cover up the failures of the regime. So the regime basically exists to cover up the failures of the regime. The, res the regime exists to lie. Now, it doesn't lie for the same reason all regimes lie and have corruption and things like that in them because people are fallen and despite their best efforts, they're going to lie and cheat and steal and things like that. We have plenty of that in, in non-communist style, non-Soviet style governments. But the Soviet system is different. The Soviet system exists. The lie is the end. It's not a means to an end. It is the end because nothing in the Soviet state works. There's a joke. Uh, if you've ever seen HBO's excellent drama, uh, Chernobyl, uh, which is a dramatization of the events of the Chernobyl disaster. There's a, there's a joke in one of the episodes that uh, what, what uh, weighs 400 kilograms, puts out 50 tons of smoke, and is designed to cut an apple into three feet. You know, I'm gonna screw this up. What? What? I'm gonna. I have to look up the Chernobyl joke. Hang on, uh, because it was hilarious. Uh, about. By the way, if you're like this, this episode sucks. What are you talking about? It's because my co-host is never available, and so I have to do this stuff by myself. And it's not, and I, I suck at doing that. Anyway, uh, he says, what is as big as a house, burns 20 liters of fuel every hour, puts out a shit ton of smoke and noise, and cuts an apple into three pieces? A Soviet machine designed to cut an apple into four pieces. That's the joke about the Soviet system, right? Nothing works. And because nothing works, the fear amongst the Messiah complex people is, if if the inefficiency and inability to work of our system is the hallmark of the system, it, this great proletarian paradise that we're going to build will be over before it starts. And history will never forgive us for creating the perfect society. Therefore, every apparatus of the government, from the post office all the way up to the premier of the Soviet Union, has one purpose and one purpose only, to lie to the citizenry. That's it. 
And in such a society, the more mental gymnastics you could do, the better of a person you actually were. Now, if you're like, oh my gosh, now I'm starting to see why you're comparing that to the modern day Catholic church. Um, that's the bad news. The bad news is that we live in a Soviet style system and in a Soviet style system, the most dangerous people in the world are people like Bishop Strickland because Bishop Strickland tells the truth and the truth is something to be, uh, it's an obstacle. It's, it, 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 it's your constant enemy of the state. Because the truth is that the state sucks. The state doesn't work. The state does not build equitable societies or anything like that. The all the state does is lie. And so people like him are very threatening and very dangerous. And you have to find ways to silence and get rid of people who tell the truth. Uh, people like that are considered counter-revolutionary. They are or or rigid uh, reactionary, things like that. The state also spends a lot of time and energy letting you, and the, and the principal lie that the state always tells in the Soviet system is it's the same lie every time. The lie is everything's fine and the status quo is working. I mean, one would ask if the status quo were really working, would you really need to spend that much time reinforcing to the people that it's working? But the problem is, is that the Soviet system itself knows that it doesn't work. And it's terrified that you might find that out one day. So the Catholic Church has become basically a Soviet-style state. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Soviet-style states collapse. The Soviet Union collapsed. Didn't take more than about 70 years. It's been about 60 years since the Second Vatican Council. Now, what I'm going to say here is not that the Catholic Church is about to collapse, but I do think that the, the Soviet-style government of the church, the modernist clique that has, run the, that has run the Catholic Church for the last 60 years, I believe is on the verge of collapse. And I think they know it because there are so many similarities between the history of the USSR and the history of the post-conciliar Catholic church that it is frightening. You will just, just how similar these two histories have played out. Um, you know, the, the modern day Catholic church is not, I mean, one of the reasons like we're all so bummed all the time, you know, I, I, I'm on Twitter. I, I see you guys on Twitter and everything. And it's just like, it's beyond, it's beyond a frustration of what do we do? The real crux of the problem is, is that the Catholic church for most of our history, for, for, for as long as we can remember right now, like I'm Irish by descent, mostly Irish by descent, but also uh, part uh, Hispanic on my father's side. But like for the Irish part of me, like the Catholic church was our institution. That was our institution. Everything else belonged to the Protestants, but we at least had the church. 
So now, though, we, we live in this Soviet-style church, and so we don't really see the church as our institution. We quite frankly fear it, for the most part. Much in the same way, citizen, the citizens of the Soviet Union feared their institutions. Because they're not really there for you. They're there to work against you. They're there to stamp your humanity out. They're there to lie and gaslight you. Lie about what? Well, lie about everything. I mean, everything. Um, you name it, they'll lie about it. And the lies don't even have to be good or convincing anymore because lies are now enforced through threats, intimidation, banishment. They don't really have a, we don't really have a gulag we can send you to, but by the end of the Soviet Union, they weren't really sending anybody to gulags anymore. They would just make you irrelevant. They would call you a radical right-wing extremist. They would call you reactionary. And once they did that, you would be removed from all from, from your job because every job was a government job. You would not be you you would not be allowed to really participate in any meaningful sense in public life. And it would be like as, as if you didn't exist. And all you had to do to meet this awful fate was tell the truth about anything. And up until the very end of the Soviet Union, the party had one message and one message the whole time. Everything is fine. We're in control. We got this. And anybody who tells you otherwise is a neo-Nazi. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in, in, in the late 80s, the whole thing came crumbling to the ground. Um, so why does this happen? Well, typically speaking, in, in, in the instance of both of these two governments that I'm talking about, the Soviet government and the, what I'll call the post-conciliar Catholic Church, I, don't, I hesitate to use the phrase Vatican II because I honestly do not believe this really has anything to do with the Second Vatican Council. Not really. Not the council itself. It certainly has been the, main, the vehicle that they have used to enact most of this. They've done it certainly in the name of the Second Vatican Council. But for the most part, the council itself, its, its documents, any theology mentioned therein, its... its it's liturgical uh, ideas or anything like that are for the most part irrelevant here. I know that sounds strange, but I really do think that's true. But I do think that there is something that I'll just call the post-conciliar Catholic church, the modernist clique. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, the, you know, when, when you think of Pope Francis, Blaise Supich, Cardinal Gregory, you know the people we're talking about. And even beyond them, people who are dead now, like Cardinal Martini and, and these folks, right? It's bigger than a pope or even than the office of the papacy itself. It's bigger than that. It's more entrenched. It's deeper than that. Just like in the Soviet system, it was deeper than, you know, Stalin, for example. People who say, well, you know, communism wasn't bad. It was just that Stalin was bad. No, because this played out exactly the same way in all the other communist countries in the world that Stalin didn't live in. 
And, you know, in case of China, it was Mao. In the case of Cambodia, it was Pol Pot. In the case of Cuba, it was Fidel Castro. You don't have to be Joseph Stalin to be Joseph Stalin, right? The system will make you into that. Um, but I think that that, that, that that apparatus, we'll just call it the post-conciliar order, for lack of a better term. It's very nebulous in, 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 in what we can call it and what we can't. Um, towards the end of a system that is entirely built on lies and lying, a cataclyst will occur. Something that will expose, something that in its, the initial instance of the thing is bad, but what it really does is expose the rot in the institution itself to a degree that not even the institution whose whole purpose is to lie can cover up anymore. Um, in the case of the USSR, I, I can point to exactly what that incidence was. Uh, on April the 26th, 1986, at 1.23 a.m., just outside of the Ukrainian town of Chernobyl, the VI Lenin power station had a catastrophic explosion in reactor number four. Okay, now me saying that sentence, that sounds like, okay, an industrial accident? That's, industrial accidents don't topple regimes. No, it wasn't the industrial accident itself. But what that accident, the, the reason that it happened and the events that happened in its wake to try and clean it up exposed, not just to the world, but to the Soviet citizenry itself, was that all of this is basically just built on a lie. And, the, and what is the purpose of the lie? No, the lie has not, the, the lie is the end. Lying is the end. I would posit that our Chernobyl was the sex abuse scandal story that broke in the early 2000s. When that broke, when that came to light, the average Catholic who was just sitting in the pew going to mass every Sunday, who is who could care less about what goes on on Catholic Twitter, not a traditional Latin mass goer, doesn't subscribe to the Fatima Crusader, has never heard of Archbishop Lefebvre, the, those people. The people who could look away for 40, 50 years couldn't look away anymore. And all of the sudden, a rot was exposed that the lying apparatus couldn't cover up anymore. And so they did exactly what the Soviet government did in the wake of Chernobyl. They went into a 20-minute meeting. They had a PR firm craft some carefully worded responses about how deeply saddened they were. Oh, just so deeply saddened. And then, because they're professional liars, they convinced themselves that everybody bought it. And I don't think everybody bought it. I don't think everybody just forgave and forgot that. And now they sense that they've lost control of the narrative. And 
the reason why they sense they've lost control of the narrative is this movement to restore the Roman right. They did not expect they in their in their minds they controlled what the liturgy was and and I want to be clear about this because these people don't really believe that liturgy is God worship because they don't really believe in God. The God that they believe in is themselves. They have said in numerous interviews, they say it today, but for us, the Catholic Church would, would die. They believe that they are the thing that makes the Catholic Church amazing. Uh, that type of grandiose narcissism is usually reserved for sociopaths and psychopaths. But again, you're dealing with people with a massive Messiah complex. So the idea that they're going to wake up one day and realize that Christ is Lord, I mean, it could happen, but I wouldn't hold my breath. But you see, the, the Mass is the highest expression of Catholic life. It's, it's, it is the source and summit of Christian existence, as the Second Vatican Council itself uh, says so in many, many times, many occasions. The source and summit of Christian life. So if they're going to control the narrative, they've got to control that, or they control nothing. Now, in the years after the Second Vatican Council, they did a pretty good job because most of those Vatican II documents weren't published in book form until sometime in the mid-80s. By then, the damage was done. Vatican II was whatever they said it was. Um, and, you know, and that's the great thing about these Soviet-style people who run the Catholic Church. They're not taking questions. They don't owe you anything. Here's how it works. I tell you what to think and say, and you do it or else, right? That's the way Soviet systems work. Uh, <clears throat> most of us can never remember a time in which if you had a question, the Catholic Church gave you an answer, not a 200-page document of gobbledygook that doesn't make any sense, but an actual answer. One of the reasons that we all have to pretend Quo Primum doesn't say what it really says is, is that we cannot imagine there was once a time when the Catholic Church ever wrote things that succinctly, that clearly. And so we've got to believe that it's, it's an illusion somehow. You know, it, it, part of one of the reasons the seminary system in the Catholic Church is as structured as it is, is that happened in the wake of the Council of Trent. And it was the thinking of the Council Fathers that a lot of the Protestant errors spread throughout Europe because there was no uniform system of training Catholic priests. And so the, 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 the thinking of the Council Fathers was is that every priest in the church, from the Bishop of Rome himself all the way down to some parish priest out in the middle of the countryside somewhere, should be able to clearly and succinctly articulate, explain, and defend the teachings of the Catholic Church. So, before anybody can become a priest, you're going to have to go through this standardized 
seminary training program. You should have advanced, you should have some type of advanced degree in theology, philosophy, things like that. Because the expectation is if somebody comes to you with a question, let's say somebody was thinking about becoming Catholic and they were like, but I just, I just can't wrap my head around this immaculate conception thing. I'm trying, but I have, something's not making sense to me and it's this. You could go to a Catholic priest and they would love to sit down with you and explain it to you. Now, you may not become Catholic at the end of that, but at least you'd know what the church taught so you could make an informed decision one way or the other. Then after the Second Vatican Council, the Soviet clique took over. And now when you ask a question, if you get an answer at all, it's a 3,500-page document of just pure nonsense, word salad. Nothing. That tells you nothing. Nowadays, we're, we're nearing what I would think would be the end of their regime, and so they're just not taking any questions at all. They don't give a damn what you think about it. We're in charge, and you're not. And you'll do what we say or else. And we're not taking any questions. We don't report to you. You report to me. You know. It's a Soviet-style dictatorship. Well, Soviet-style dictatorships fall. They fall pretty quickly. When, they, when, the, when the collapse starts, you'd be surprised how quickly it all comes undone. Um, I personally believe we're nearing the end, and I think they'd get it too. And I think, I mean, who saw the story recently from the new the new prefect of the sacred congregation for the doctrine of the faith, that guy who looks like Hannibal Lecter, what, what's his name? Uh, uh, Cardinal Fernandez or Hernandez or something like that, where he was like, there's no point in denying the doctrine of Francis. I mean, they, they're not right calling it the doctrine of Francis now. And the reason why it's because, well, we've already won and they've already lost. Well, then why do you have to say it so much? I can't, I can't help but think that every time that they say stuff like that, they start to sound really panicked. But again, the entire purpose of the regime is to lie. Uh, if, you've never, if you've never seen uh, that excellent HBO series on Chernobyl, I would invite you to watch it. It's... I, I would say family friendly in the sense that there's no there's no sex or anything like that in it, but it's dark. I mean, it's a sobering. It's not something I'd put your kids in front of because it because it's disturbing. Okay, disturbing in the sense that the society that these people had built for themselves. I mean, it, we. And, and that's the thing I go back to. In their minds in 1917, when the Bolsheviks had seized power, what they were doing was for the good of all humanity. They were going to build this really equitable, just, and fair society, the, the most fair society that has ever existed ever anywhere. From its inception, it was the 180 degree opposite of that. Because all we can build is the Tower of Babel. That's it. That's what the, the whole story of Tower of Babel is about. We're going to build this. We're going to build this thing to heaven. We're going to do it ourselves. God is an absentee landlord. And the whole reason that the world isn't a great place 
because I haven't showed up yet. But don't worry, humanity. I'm here now. And I, you know, if you're like, wow, that sounds like grandiose narcissism. It is. It's a messiah complex. And I think that that is what the Catholic Church has built for itself over the last 60 years. An apparatus that does nothing but lie about everything. Their lies are so bold. But then again, that's how Soviet-style dictatorships work. The more mental gymnastics you can do, the better a person you are. So let's get back to Bishop Strickland for a moment, if I might. This is an interesting situation here because before the people that they've canceled have been lay people, parish priests, things like that. And the entire Soviet style apparatus that the Catholic Church has run on for the past for the past 60 years has run because the bishops are involved in it. It's run by them. And it's it's run for them and by them. And now it's turned on them. As it all as these things always do. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That was my dog. I don't know if you guys heard that or not. Now it's turned on them a little bit. And that's interesting because we're getting ready to, you know, I don't know when it's going to happen, but sooner than later, there's going to be another conclave. And the people that you are, that, that the modernist clique are counting on to keep this going now feel like they're on the chopping block from this thing. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if that pans out for the system. But again, the system is lied so much that they can't even tell the truth from the lies anymore. Uh, why did, why did reactor number four explode? You can get into all the technical apparatuses of graphite tipped control rods and positive void coefficients and nuclear science and all that stuff. But the real reason it blew up was because the entire thing was built on a lie. All the safety standards and everything else that every other nuclear power plant in the world follows were not followed because the Politburo had unanimously decided that a global nuclear catastrophe is not possible in the glorious workers' paradise of the Soviet Union. That's if that sounds similar to the way the modern day Catholic Church is run, it's because exactly how it's run. Why did the sex abuse crisis happen the way it happens? Simply because the entire lying had become official policy. It become official bureaucratic policy. So when uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones come to the bishop and say, "Hey, Father So and So is a scumbag." Well, we've decided that what we built in 1965 is a, is a church so amazing that things like that just aren't possible in it. And if you say otherwise, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, we'll, we'll, we'll come after you, you know, we'll threaten you. We'll, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Well, it was only a matter of time before that literally blew up just like the Chernobyl reactor did. And when it did, it exposed something. And the Soviet Union didn't last long after the Chernobyl 
that was the, the Soviet Union didn't end because of what happened at Chernobyl, but that was just sort of the beginning of the cascade of of events that ultimately resulted in the toppling of that of that wretched institution. And I personally believe that uh, the the clique that runs the Vatican, the clique that runs the Catholic Church, that's in charge of you know what I'm talking about. It's not any one particular office. It's a whole apparatus of, of, of dictators that keep this going. I think it's about to collapse. And I think it's going to, I mean, I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I think it's going to be within the next 15 years or so. I mean, I, I don't think they have much more time. I don't know that they'll survive the next conclave, quite frankly. And if they do, it wouldn't be long after that. Now, <clears throat> similar to what happened in the wake of the Soviet Union collapsing in 1991, I don't think that the collapse of the modernist clique, the post-conciliar order, whatever it is this is that's run the Catholic Church for 60 years, I don't think that is going to result in, you know, heaven on earth. What happened in the wake when the Soviet Union collapsed, I think is what you're going to see a little bit of in the Catholic Church. Chaos. You're going to see some weird stuff. I mean, it, I don't know how weird it could get. There could be rival claimants to the throne of Peter. There could be schisms. There could be rad trad polygamy cults that pop up in places. I mean, you're going to see some weird stuff. And the weird stuff could make you say, is this better? I don't know. <laughs> I just think you're going to see weird, weird phenomenon in the, in the church. Because in the, in the collapse of these Soviet-style governments, there's always chaos afterwards, just pure chaos. I don't think that's going to be how it's going to go forever. I do believe that that will settle down. Okay. And Rome will shine again. But I, I think, uh, <laughs> I got it. I got that. That was a great reference. Um, yeah, I, I think you're going to see some weird things in the wake of, of, of the collapse, but I do believe the collapse is coming. I believe it's going to be catastrophic. It's going to cause a lot of confusion. Oh, and when you do, don't, don't be surprised because a lot of the people who perpetuate this just want to be in with whoever's in power. I mean, if, if, if a conclave were held tomorrow, and Cardinal Sarah were elected Pope, it would blow your mind how quickly Austin Ivory would become the biggest rad trad in the world. And he would be on, he'd be on Twitter all day long. Oh, I was always against all these things that were going on with Frank. I was always against the Senate and all that. You'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, some of these people are just toadies, right? They're, they're toadies. They're, they're, they're oligarchs. Who will who will go along with whoever happens to be in power? And it it wouldn't surprise me in 
in the slightest. Um, so I don't know if that gives it, does that give guys, I don't know if that's hopeful or interesting or not, but I will say this. Um, they hadn't that, that similar to what happened in the Soviet Union in the wake of Chernobyl. I can tell you the Catholic Church hasn't learned anything from what happened in the early 2000s. Not a damn thing. I mean, what they've done is they went into a 20 minute USCCB meeting and adopted some new reporting procedures, and then we fixed it. They don't, they seem to fundamentally misunderstand what it is that went wrong there. What went wrong is lying had become the official policy of the Catholic Church, and that that's what caused all this abuse crisis. They haven't learned that because they're still doing that. If you read Tradiciones Custodes, I mean, there are things in there which are just an outright lie. You can't really, you know, blame them. That's the way that that's what they do. I mean, I, I don't know if 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 anybody in the Vatican even knows what the truth is anymore. Most of those people are just jockeying for position and and trying to do, you know, whatever it takes to uh, to stay in, you know, in the good graces of power, and that's it. But I personally think there's another crisis coming. It lies under the surface like a coiled snake. It's going to blow up. And when it does, the post-conciliar order will not survive it. That crisis is, I'm, I really feel like, like stories are going to, stories have already started to break that most of what the Catholic Church has been doing in the last 60 years is not valid. I think most of the masses are not valid. I think most of the baptisms are not valid. I know, I know Francis has even admitted that most of the marriages are not sacramentally valid. It's already, this, this part that I'm talking about has already started. And every two or three months or so, a new story will come out about a parish that hadn't said a valid mass in 30 years. You really think those are isolated incidents? Because that's what we were told about the sex abuse stuff, too. Oh, it's just, you know, there's one or two bad apples. Don't let that ruin the whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These Soviet-style dictatorships are... Their, their whole purpose is just to lie and cover up. I mean, why do you think they're so hot all the time about, you know, let's, let's say you're somebody who uh, enjoys going to the traditional Latin mass. You're not, you're not a rad trad. You're not on Twitter. You're not even SSPX, but your local parish has a traditional Latin mass on the third Sunday of every month and you enjoy going to it. Boy, you better. What are you saying that the Vatican II Mass is not valid? You better not say it's not valid. You need to sign this piece of paper saying that you believe it's valid. Whoa, whoa, where did, where is this coming from? Well, you're not allowed to question the validity of our Mass. You're not. I, 
I, I wasn't. What are you talking about? Yes, you were. You don't, you deny our sacraments. And you, why are they so hot about that? Why anytime anybody wants to join an F, join the FSSP or go to an FSSP parish, the initial reaction instantly from the post-conciliar click is to run cover for the current sacraments. Hmm. I guess we know, right? We don't dare say it, but we know. Because the stories are already coming out. See the the official see the the policy structure works like this. Um when you get caught, okay, well first thing you do is lie. Lie to cover up what's really going on. When you get caught lying, lie some more. Dismiss that person as an extremist. If they won't go away, pay them some money. But uh, initially, just to try and dismiss them as an extremist. When you get busted, that when it gets when it comes out that they're not an extremist, lie and say that you never said that. Lie, lie, lie some more until you get to a point where there's no more. You, you're so exposed, you can't lie anymore. Then you call in the PR department with the craft with the carefully worded statement about how deeply sorrowful you are. And then repeat step one, go back to lying again. They really think this works. They really think that this works. You would think that after the story, the Boston Globe broke in 2002, they would know that that doesn't work, but we're not dealing with people who are, who are attached to reality here. <laughs> okay. These people have lied so much. They, they now lie to themselves. They live in a land of self-delusion. I mean, when Traditionis Custodis came out and I read it, I was floored. And part of me, I mean, yes, I was friggin' furious and very angry. But part of me smiled and thought, wow, okay. I guess there were guys out there who really enjoyed walking out in public in a Roman collar after that Boston Globe story broke. I don't think I would have enjoyed it. And I know that there were a lot of good priests who were unfortunately were tarnished. I mean, think about that for a second. You're a Catholic priest who's dedicated your life at the service of the church. And that story comes out and you got to wear a Roman collar out in public. You know, um, your eminence, your excellency, your holiness, if you enjoyed that experience, then keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. It's going to happen again. And when it does, you guys will go into a USCCB meeting and convince yourselves that it's not. We have decided that something like that just isn't possible. Hooray! We conquered reality again. Every lie you tell incurs a debt to the truth. And the truth will not go away. It will lay there forever. Because sooner or later, that debt's got to be paid. And I don't care that uh, you have a synod on synodality document that says that that won't happen. It's going to happen. The truth will out. Every time. 
And there is no greater good than the truth. Because Christ is the truth. Let me be clear here. Christ is not truthful. He's not a person who tells the truth. He is truth incarnate. That means there's no, there is no greater good than telling the truth. People who tell you, well, I lied for the greater good are full of crap. They're full of crap because there is no greater good than telling the truth. None. Because that would mean that there was a greater good than Christ, which is impossible. Now, the modernist clique really do believe that they are the greater good than Christ. I mean, <laughs> these German bishops, if you can believe this, I mean, you want proof? You want proof that I'm right? The German synod of bishops, these same people who were raping children for 50 years and lying about it, if you can believe it, not only do they not believe that they're worse than the rest of us for doing that, in their minds, they are morally superior to Jesus of Nazareth himself. You know, um, your eminence, your excellency, um, probably not, right? I mean, maybe, but um, start wrapping your head around the idea that anybody who thinks that isn't even as good as the average person, okay? Anybody who thinks they are morally superior to Jesus isn't even as good as the average person. People who believe they're morally superior to Jesus, you need to flee from those people because they're dangerous, because they have no conscience and no sense to hold themselves accountable to anything because they, the only God that they believe in is themselves. And those people will get exposed every time. I believe that the post-conciliar order is about to fall. And that's why they're acting the way they're acting. Um, there is a, uh, a historian that I like. He, uh, what was the name? What was his name? Um, hang on, I can, I can. Stephen, Stephen Kotkin, Stephen Kotkin wrote, a, is probably the uh, the premier, the preeminent historian of the Soviet Union and of Russian history in general that I can think of. He wrote a three-volume uh, work on Joseph Stalin that is probably, I don't think there is a greater biographical work on the man. Um, Stephen Kotkin gave a, a talk one time at the Hoover Institute where he said, he was giving a talk on Alexander Solzhenitsyn. For those of you who don't know who Alexander Solzhenitsyn was, he was a, um, a former Red Army soldier in World War II. He was sentenced to the Gulag by Joseph Stalin for uh, writing some letters home in which he was not overly positive about Joseph Stalin. So he went to the Gulag for that. Did hard labor. And he became a writer while he was in the Gulag. He wrote a variety of, of works um, that, that exposed the, the, the crimes of the Soviet system, but his, I'd say his opus magnus was the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, and if you've, if you've got 
time, I would dig into that work because it is a shocking expose of, uh, of Soviet crimes and the rot of the Soviet system. But Stephen Kotkin was giving this talk on Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he said that there's probably no more one person who is more important to the history of the Soviet Union than Joseph Stalin. The second most important person is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I was floored by that. I was like, how I, most of the people on planet Earth have never even heard Alexander Solzhenitsyn's name. They don't even know who that is. You're saying he's the second most important person in the history of the Soviet Union? He said, absolutely. Because he was the first and probably the most preeminent author, dissident, to not only survive Stalin's reign, but to go on and write truth so powerful and so piercing that the Soviet Union dare not kill him. Now, they eventually exiled him from the country for his works. And there have been times when he's been rehabilitated, when he was rehabilitated in Soviet society in times which his works were, were banned and things like that. But some of his works were actually published in the Soviet Union uh, before its collapse. And they were, of course, highly critical of the Soviet system. He was that important. He was that important of a voice. He certainly wasn't the only voice, but there was something about his um, his raw bone truth that he exposed in his work that even the Soviet system dare not uh, dare not try and silence. And that's the thing about the truth, you know that. The darkness cannot overcome light. I don't care how much darkness there is. If there's one single point of light, it will overcome all that darkness. Christ was killed for telling the truth. All he had to do, actually, he didn't even have to tell a lie to avoid crucifixion. All he would have had to have done is just stop talking. Just go live a quiet life somewhere. Build furniture. Or, you know, have your beliefs and your and your 12 disciples if you want, go, but go live in the desert, you know. But Christ said, no, I'll take the cross. He, he, he took up his own cross voluntarily, allowed his own crucifixion. Then he died. Then he was buried. And then he destroyed death. That's what the truth can do. It destroys death and it scatters the darkness. And the darkness is going to continue to tell you, <laughs> you might as well give up because you've already lost because I'm in charge. And if you tell the truth, I will. The cross is the, is the price that the world makes you pay for telling the truth. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross. Then they got nothing. You see what happens when people voluntarily take up the cross? The world freaks out. You're, you're not allowed to do that. I don't care. Give me the cross. I'll take it up voluntarily. But, 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 yeah, they have nothing after that. Nothing. There's nothing they can do to you. I hope, I can't, I can't promise you that Bishop Strickland is going to be our Alexander Solzhenitsyn. But, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I hope that he is not silenced. And I hope that he does not um, 
I hope that he doesn't resign because he owes this gang of thugs nothing. I mean, <laughs> how's this for Soviet-style dictatorship? The Vatican publishes this thing called the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And you can go look at the, I wish I was trying to find my copy earlier, but it says the Liberia Editrice Vaticane, which my Latin's not perfect, but that says Vatican Library Edition. They publish the book. They disseminate it out into the world. But if I read the book out loud, I'm a bad person. Welcome to the so welcome to the Union of Catholic Soviet Republics, where the the highest virtue is mental gymnastics. The really the the best people are so good at lying they can lie to themselves. They can hold two simultaneously mutually exclusive ideas at the same time. For those people, we will give the Medal of Hero of the Soviet Union to, because those are the exemplars. Those people are wonderful. You know, the people who can look at something dead in the face and convince themselves that it's just not there because we've told them so. Well, that's that's where we are. But rest assured, those systems don't last. They think it will, but it won't. Um, yeah. That's all I got for you tonight. I don't know if this was interesting or if this was, uh, you know, if this inspired hope. To me, it inspires hope to know that these, the, these gangsters aren't going to win. They can't win. They don't have anything to stand on. And if I were Bishop Strickland, I, I was installed in this sea by the, by the Catholic Church. And that's the mystical body of Christ. That is Jesus Christ extended in time and space. Uh, I don't feel like resigning. So go pound sand. You know, the, the, the Pope cannot just, the, the Pope is not the God of the Catholic Church. I know that they think that. Now they think that because one of their guys is in there. Uh, isn't it interesting how quickly, you know, the papacy went from being somebody it was noble to disobey to you better not, you better not, you better not, you know. Isn't it interesting how quickly that happens? Uh, it's kind of like how in, uh, in 2020, all of our institutions were systemically racist until they won the White House and then all of a sudden democracy was sacred. Isn't that interesting how quickly that happens? But anyway, um, I would, t if I were Bishop Strickland, I'd tell him to go pound sand. What are they going to do? You know, no, keep telling the truth. They're scared to death of you. That's why they, that, that's why they want him to go away. They know the power of the truth and they're terrified of it. So don't fear these people. Trust me. The whole reason why they're acting the way they're acting is because they're scared to death of you. They're terrified. You know, the, we were talking earlier about how the documents of Vatican II weren't really published in book form until the mid-80s. And even then, you know, how many, how many of your average Catholics in the pew every day were going to go out and buy the documents of the Second Vatican Council so they could read them for themselves? It was never going to happen, so they could still control the narrative. Then the Internet happened. They didn't count on that. They didn't count on the Internet. 
and they don't really know how the internet works very well. Uh, you know, most of these guys are in their seventies and eighties and they can't control that. I mean, look at me, we're sitting here. I, I bought, I bought a, a $60 microphone and I have a, what a subscription to Spotify. And I now have instant access to a global online audience. I can say anything I want and there's nothing they can do. They didn't count on that. And if you look at all the, and you know, I'm small potatoes in this, obviously. Uh, but if you look at people like who have a much bigger following, who are Catholics in mass media, your Michael Knowles, your um, Matt Walsh's, are those guys Novus Ordo apologists? Not really. <laughs> Name me, name me somebody who is big in the Catholic blogosphere, in the Twitter sphere, in the, who is a major Catholic media outlet online, who is a Novus Ordo enthusiast. Now you could point to guys like, um, Bishop Barron, but Bishop Barron gave the SSPX faculties in his diocese. I'm not saying he's a rad trad. But the idea that he's this, you know, modernist apologist for the modernist clique, I don't know. I don't know about that. Now, he's in a much more different position than I am because, uh, you know, Christopher's saying that those do exist. I've never heard of them. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they are out there. But yeah, uh, yeah, look at Mass of the Ages. Exact, perfect example of what we're talking about. And you look at the average age of the people who attend that mass, they're young. They're very young. That's freaking them out. That's freaking, that keeps them awake at night. Because remember, what must survive is the revolution. Because we're building a new type of human being here. And nothing's more important to that. Not law, not rights, not dignity, nothing. Once we've built our utopia, you'll see, you'll thank us. That's their mentality. Tell him to go pound sand. Tell the truth anyway. The whole thing's about to collapse. Don't be afraid of these people. Um, anyway, um, okay, well, that's all I got today. I, I don't know if this was, I appreciate all of you tuning in. There were like 20-something people watching, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but just sit back and watch the collapse of their stupid little revolution and enjoy it. And give them no mercy. And don't feel sorry for these people when it starts happening to them. Because they deserve every inch of it. Okay? And, uh, yeah, man. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll pop the popcorn. And, uh, you know, I'm going to enjoy it because uh, they, they deserve every inch of it, quite frankly. And more. And uh, it's going to come, it's going to come hard, it's going to come fast, and <laughs> nothing's going to, and nobody's going to save them, because they'll have nobody to blame but themselves, and they'll get no sympathy from anybody. And this entire apparatus that they built is going to turn on them, because it always does. You know, Maximilien Robespierre was the terror of Paris, chopping everybody's head off with the guillotine. You looked at him sideways, you better not, because I'll chop your head off with this guillotine. Yeah. Go check out how he died. 
Womp, womp. It comes back around, you know. Uh, Thomas More in, uh, well, I don't know if Thomas More actually said, St. Thomas More actually said this, but his character said it in A Man for All Seasons. He's talking to somebody who is, you know, very sympathetic to the to the Lutheran cause here. And, and Thomas More says, would you cut down every law to get at the devil? And this guy says, absolutely, sir. Because if I could, if I could get rid of the devil, you're darn right. I'd cut down every law to get rid of him. There's nothing's more important than that. And Thomas More says, and what are you going to do after you've cut down every law as you're chasing the devil? And then he turns around on you. Where are you going to hide? It's a great question. And these people will have nowhere to hide. They will have completely built the gallows that they will hang themselves with. And uh, I'm going to be there with a smile on my face. And then after they're gone, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to crawl into bed. And I'm going to, and let me tell you what, babies don't sleep as good as I'll sleep that night. I hope everybody has a wonderful evening. I'm going to cut it out because we've been here for about an hour. Thank you so much for. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Or a pronobis. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want me to go for another hour, Margo. Do you, uh... <laughs> I thought Jason might come on. Um, he's, uh, he's doing some dad stuff, you know, Jason's such a good dad. He is. And he, and he, he, he wants to be on the pod more, but you know, the family comes first and darn it. I can't argue with that. I can't. You know, I, Jason and I have many conversations where he's always just apologizing up and down about having to cancel shows and not do shows and, and they can't be here for things like that. And I told him, I told him a long time ago, I said, Jason, if the, you, know, you Margo, you better not have. <laughs> I said, Jason, if the only thing you do for this podcast is be a good father and husband, you have done everything this podcast could ask you to do. Because if we're not going to do that, then what is the point, right? We're not here to tell lies. That's, that's their job. We'll tell the truth on our show as best we can. And, uh, yeah, man, if they come after you, they come after you. Screw them. What are they going to do? Tell them to go pound sand. I hope Bishop Strickland tells him to go pound sand. He may cave. Hey man, it, it's, <laughs> Let me tell you something. The people, the bishops and the priests out there who have stood up to this, that's courage. Because the whole weight of an institution that they've given their whole lives to is against them. And they'll threaten you with everything. They'll threaten you with everything. These people are, remember, in their minds, they're saving the entire world. So nothing's more important than that. Not your rights, not your dignity, not the truth, nothing. So, yeah, it's incredibly terrifying to stand up to these people. The cross is terrifying. The cross is not just death. It's a terrible way to die. Uh, but I'm telling you that they're more scared of you than you are of them. We need not fear these people. And I think, I think it's all coming down. And I think they know it. They read the same stats you and I read. One thing about these people is they're delusional, but they're not stupid. 
I mean, they're stupid, but they're not stupid. You know what I mean? Austin Ivory is stupid, but he's not stupid. He might be an idiot, but he's not stupid. Anyway. Uh, Austin, if you ever want to come on the show, I'd love to have you on. <laughs> I'd love to pick your brain. I'd love that. Who wants Austin Ivory to come on the show? Let's 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 see if we can get him on. Austin, I swear, if you come on, if you ask to come on, I will have you on. I'm not, and and there'll be no editing. There'll be nothing like that. I'd love to have you on. Um, guys, thank you so much. I tried to keep track of the chat while I was doing this, but I'm not, as you can see, I'm not. Gosh, we barely had this podcast. We, <laughs> I barely was able to be on. Um, but anyway, uh, I hope you guys are having a pleasant evening and, um, you know, it's, I don't know if there's anything I can say that's going to offer any more hope than what I've already said, but I really enjoyed coming on tonight and, uh, God willing, we'll get to do this more often. Let me know what you guys think in the comments section. Am I crazy? Am I right? Am I oversimplifying the issue? I probably am. Uh, or, or what you guys think is, uh, Sean, that's what I'm talking about. I don't know, man. We don't get the big guests that avoiding Babylon gets. I mean, they had the 44th president of the United States come on there. They had a, a notoriously pro-abortion, pro-gun control, uh, Democrat president come on their show, man. I, I wow, that's incredible. That's impressive. That's impressive. I don't know how they. I don't know how they did that, but uh, that was darn impressive. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for, for, for being with us. I, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that this was somewhat inspiring or maybe this gave, maybe this gave us a new way to think about this issue and what's going on. Pray for Bishop Strickland, pray for courage and, uh, and don't ever, don't ever be afraid of these people. They don't, they remember their entire, their entire facade is built on a lie. And you know when they're lying and they know when they're lying. They just don't care. Anyway, God bless everybody. And uh, may God bless us. May our lady keep us. And uh, remember, life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the rosary. God bless everybody. See you next time.